This afternoon, we will focus our attention on the first commandment. And in connection with that, let us first of all read two passages, beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 18, the verses 9 to 14. And in the second place, from the book of Acts, chapter 19, the verses 11 to 20. We begin with the Word of God in Deuteronomy 18 at verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, The Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Let us turn now to the book of Acts, chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Let us now read together what we have also in the Catechism about this, page 550 in the Book of Praise. Before we read question and answer 94 and 95, let us just read the introduction and the first commandment. God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Then we go to 94. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? that for the sake of my very salvation I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, 
and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God. Trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against His will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust, instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. After the sermon, let us sing together Psalm 62, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we deal with the Ten Commandments, it's important to remember that the Lord did not just give the commandments like that, but that there was an introduction, a preamble. The words that come to mind here are how the Lord said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's important to understand this preamble, and really you should never read the commandments without reading that little introduction, because those words, you could say, they give warmth to the commandments, because they tell us something about the lawgiver, and it tells us something about the relationship we have with this lawgiver. It reminds us that he is one who loves us, and he has shown that love by setting his people free from the hands of a terrible enemy. Now, of course, we know in the Old Testament setting that referred to the terrible bondage the people of Israel had been enduring at the hands of the Egyptians, the house of slavery. But, of course, we know that all anticipates and foreshadows how in Jesus Christ God has set us free from an even more terrible bondage, that is, to Satan and to sin. We have passed from slavery into freedom through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, something we focused our attention on also this morning. It's all the work of God that He has done for us. And so, whenever we hear then again the introduction to the commandments, then right away it reminds us, okay, now we're not stepping into some kind of legalism. This is not something that we have to do that we may receive grace, then we wouldn't do the whole sermon of this morning. No, it comes to those who already have received grace. And therefore, those introductory word, words kind of should give a rush of joy because we are reminded of what we have been set free from. Also impresses upon us. Before God asks anything of us, He reminds us, this is what I have done for you already. Now, the fact that the Ten Commandments begin with this reminder of God's love immediately tells us what the law is not. It's not a set of rules that we have to keep in order to earn salvation. This is a set of rules for a people that have been saved already. So, the intent of the commandments then is that the Lord wants to take us in a different direction. This is not what you have to do to earn salvation, but this is how you are to now live since you are a saved people. You have received my love, this is how you respond to my love. 
And there's a big need for this, because the fall into sin has had such a devastating impact on our whole being and our whole relationship before God that you could say we have to relearn everything. God has to spell out things. He shouldn't have to spell out, but because sin has so gotten hold of our lives, we need to learn from scratch again how to serve the Lord and to live to the praise of His, of His glory. He can't just leave us to our own devices and saying, you know, I've saved you, and now I'll let you figure it out for yourself. No, that would be very dangerous. And so, that's how the commandments are to be approached. The Lord God telling us how to live in response to His gift of salvation. And then, the very first commandment, what He's doing there is He's impressing upon us, now that we are in this relationship, I want you to focus on Me exclusively. Because the faith relationship is an exclusive relationship. So that's how we're going to approach also this first commandment. And I proclaim to you, in the first commandment, the God who loves us calls us to love Him exclusively. And we consider, first of all, actions that betray such love, and secondly, actions that display such love. So in the first commandment, the God who loves us calls us to love Him exclusively. And that, first of all, those actions that betray such love. Now, in summing up the message, we spoke about loving God exclusively. Now, of course, we recognize that not all love relationships are that way. Just think of how parents are with their children. If they've been granted a number of children, then they're not just going to love one exclusively and ignore the rest. No, they should love all their children. To distribute that love, you could say, in a fair and equitable way. Also, when it comes to how we relate to our neighbors, we don't just love one neighbor, we are supposed to love our neighbors in the plural. So, we see that, you can say at certain points, that's not an exclusive love relationship, but there are relationships where there is to be that kind of exclusive relationship. We think of the marriage relationship. We know that in a marriage there is no room for a third party. Now we know the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 5, he says that the marriage relationship represents the relationship of Christ and the church. We know that in a marriage relationship, just to think that through a little bit more yet, there is a special affection and a certain actions that are unique to that relationship between a husband and a wife. Aspects that simply may not be shared. And for the sake of the health and well-being of their marriage, a, a couple does well to work on that and to carefully guard that relationship against any intrusions. And so it's true. In any marriage, it's important that a husband never gives too much attention to a woman who is not his wife or the other way around. It should not even just be a matter of seeking emotional support with a woman other than his wife or, again, the other way around. When that happens, then, then something intrudes in that exclusive relationship. And so, if you think that through a bit more yet, we could say marriage, to put it in terms of the first commandment, is you shall have no other husband, no other wife besides the one you have. 
Now, it's interesting, of course, as we said, this is indication of the relationship of Christ and His church, but also in the Old Testament, the marriage relationship is used to describe the relationship of God and His people. And any time the people of the Lord drift away from being in that exclusive relationship, it would be described as spiritual adultery. Israel was following other lovers. Now, the question that comes to mind at this point is, what does spiritual adultery look like? What, what kind of activities does a person have to watch out for? Catechism gives a kind of a straightforward list when it says, we are to avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or other creatures. A number of those things we, we heard in the list that was also given in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And as we think of the Old Testament people, then we know that they did not listen so well. So many examples where the people of Israel very quickly started to look elsewhere. It wasn't that long they were in the Promised Land and they became intrigued with the Baals. Yes, the Lord might have saved them out of Egypt, but they also developed a relationship with the Baals, the, the gods of the towns and of the land, especially for agriculture, they would kind of begin to worship the Baals as well. We know that sad story of King Saul, who had been appointed by the Lord, but then, of course, he drifted away from the Lord, and at one point, he even consulted the witch of Endor, while at the beginning of his, his role as, rule as king, he had tried to eradicate all the witches. We find also an interesting situation, second book of Kings of King Ahaziah, who had fallen to the lattice, he was sick, and then he sent men to consult with Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, as to whether he would get better. And we know how the Lord reacted to that through the prophet Elijah. It's also not hard to fill in some details from the time of the Reformation, when, when witchcraft and superstition and prayer to saints were very much part of life. As a matter of fact, Superstition, witchcraft, psychics, we still see them a lot nowadays, but they might not be so real for us as Reformed people. But we still understand what those kind of things are. But all these things we might say, okay, now we understand that's what they had trouble with in the Old Testament times. They understand the time of the Reformation, but what about today? It doesn't seem to be that relevant to us in terms of the things that we might have to deal with and to look out for. Well, what we need to do then is we have to look beyond the practices listed to the thought that lies behind them. Why do people do those kind of things? And we're helped in this respect by listening to what we confess in question and answer 95. Because there it is pointed out that idolatry is a matter of trust. Because why did Israel go to the Baals? Well, they didn't trust the Lord to provide crops or the increase of their livestock or for their wives to receive children. So they went to the Baals. They didn't trust the Lord. And why did people go to witches? Well, they didn't trust the promises of the Lord that He would provide for them. Now, notice that David writes in Psalm 62, we'll be singing some stanzas of that psalm afterwards, 
For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Notice, God alone, nowhere else. A little further he writes, trust in him at all times, O people. Notice that trust aspect. And then we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, whether we do that. Whether we trust the Lord exclusively. Of course, it can be the case that we trust the Lord to a certain degree, but the point here is exclusively. Perhaps it is the case that to a degree we begin to trust ourselves, that we begin to say, I'm really secure about my future, not because in the first place I trust the Lord, but because I think I have managed my finances very well, and and so I think I have a good sense of financial security. See, the trust has slipped towards our own financial resources. And then we forget that money cannot buy happiness, and it certainly cannot help you when illness enters our lives or when we face death's door. Even if you have a billion dollars in the bank, you can say, well, I trust in my money. For what? Your money isn't going to help you in the moment you have to die. Health and wealth are fleeting, and so we have a tendency to rely somewhat upon our financial resources. We have to recognize that, that it is fleeting. They cannot help us in the critical times of our life. Watch out for that temptation to trust in money rather than to trust in the Lord. We can also put it in terms of where we turn in times of difficulty. You know, there are so many things that you can say, well, they, they, they kind of relieve stress. For some people, it's a matter that if you feel stressed, well, then maybe, maybe just a, a smoke to, to calm the nerves. Or, or we look for a drink to fortify ourselves to deal with various difficult situations. Or to think of something very much in the news nowadays, when they talk about this recreational use of marijuana, that people want to do that for relaxation. Is that where we look? Do we say, I need a puff so I can feel more relaxed, so I can feel the stresses of life? It can be some other kind of drug as well. And we can go even further. Even very basic things like food. We even have the term that there is comfort food. So that people turn to food to deal with the stresses and the pressures of life. Say, yes, I trust the Lord, but please give me my favorite hamburger or my favorite chocolate bar or whatever is the favorite of their situation. You know, there used to be the saying that went something like this, trust the Lord, but keep the gunpowder dry. That was kind of a slogan as they had to fight the various battles. Trust the Lord, but keep the gunpowder dry. But in the end, there was more trust in the gunpowder than there was in the Lord. It is the case that we say, perhaps, we trust the Lord, but we keep the cupboard well supplied with aids to deal with all of life's stresses. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we begin to see how subtle it can be when our trust actually drifts away from the Lord, then we have to say, actually, I say it, that I trust the Lord. And I sing that I trust the Lord. But do I really trust Him alone? And all the the, the stresses of life, do I say, 
I have to find refuge with the Lord. That's all I need. That's where I will find my comfort. If not, brothers and sisters, then we have to recognize that something is kind of intruding into our exclusive relationship with the Lord. But there's another thing that we need to consider that can also intrude into our relationship with the Lord. Because in the first commandment, the Lord also indicates that now that we are His children, we should be at the center of, He should be at the center of our lives. And then we have to ask ourselves, what really is the center of our lives? What, what do we live for? What gets the best part of us? What does our life really revolve around? Does our life revolve around sports? It can be a big thing, either by participating or always watching. If, if we took all the sport out of life, would we still consider life worth living? Now let's consider some more possible idols. Things that we make a priority in our life when really they should always be subservient to serving the Lord. We can think of our marriages and our families. Now they are important. And a husband has to give proper attention to his wife and the family, husband and wife, they have to give proper attention to their children. But, brothers and sisters, it can happen that actually we turn them into idols, that we make them the most important thing in our life. And we have to keep in mind that they all are to form a part of how we serve the Lord. But the Lord is first. Our marriages are secondary. Our families are secondary. And if we make decisions based on what will preserve our family rather than what is faithful to the Lord, we have turned things upside down. We can go further. It's also an important thing to consider. You know, we think about the schooling of our children. It's very important that we do that. As we look after the educational needs of our children so they can grow up in a Christian environment. But there's a danger when you do that. And that is that you turn the education of the children into a God. Where everything actually is focused on that rather than seeing it as part of our service towards the Lord. It can happen. That that becomes so prominent that actually that gets the first fruits and the Lord gets the second or the leftovers. If He's lucky. We can think, we can extend this to many other activities that begin in good faith, because all these things you could say, well, we do that out of love for the Lord. But the danger is there that what in itself is an important thing and a good thing if we are not careful, it begins to take over our life. And the, something that was meant, meant to be an instrument as part of our service to the Lord takes over our lives, and the instrument actually becomes our God. So keep that in mind. Well, all these things are important. I mentioned marriage, family, schooling. They're all important. But they must remain instruments and not become our gods. Because when they begin to drive our lives, we know that it has gone too far. And keep in mind then how the Lord wants us to love Him exclusively in terms of trust, rely upon Him, and in terms of being the center of our lives. 
And we might not even realize how much we fail in this regard until we more carefully examine our lives. At the same time, do remember when the Lord tells us that there should not be anything in our life that betrays our trust and commitment to Him, He is not saying to us, because you are weak there, actually, you are not my children. He's not saying, you're not my child till you clean up this part of our lives. Rather, He's saying to us, you are my children. I have established this relationship with you, and because you are my children, you need to clean up your lives. You have to go looking for the things that are part of the old ways, you could say, part that interferes in our relationship. You have to go looking for the leaven of sin and say, that has to go away. Because if I don't deal with it, it's going to keep on growing, 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 and it is going to short-circuit my relationship with the Lord. Now, when we are alerted to things that betray that exclusive relationship, then we should also be ready like those believers we read about in Ephesus, who had come to the Lord already, but obviously they were still in the process of developing and maturing, but then they recognized there's something that we have to get rid of. They went looking for all their old magic books that they still had, and without hesitation they threw it into the pile, and they made a huge bonfire, very expensive bonfire, but they recognized this gets in the way between us and the Lord. They didn't even want them in the house anymore. You get rid of all these things because they recognized how they, they interfere in that exclusive relationship. You know, in that respect, you could say, just like a woman doesn't keep pictures of old boyfriends on the shelf once she has married her husband, suggesting her heart is still kind of attractive to those fellows that she might have dated for a while before, those who have been delivered by God out of grace in Jesus Christ don't really want reminders of the old ways anymore. No, it's to be a radical break. And as you see the old ways, as they somehow manifest themselves, you say, no, they need to go. They need to go because if I don't deal with that, I will not grow closer to my Savior. You don't want anything that might creep into our lives that competes for the attention of our Lord and subtly becomes a distraction and even an object of trust. And so we therefore need to ask ourselves if our various actions at times fall in the categories of betrayal of trust and affection, whether our thoughts and desires linger where they should not be. See, important things to think about. At the same time, he also shows us how to display such love. That's our second point. Now, the Catechism, again, pulling together a lot of pieces of Scripture, comes up with quite an extensive list of actions that we should engage in. So we talked about things that we should get rid of. Now we look at what we should engage in and be busy with. Because we can show our relationship with the Lord our God, and we can grow in our relationship with these various actions. 
Now they highlight, as the Catechism also mentions them, that these are not actions that can be performed mechanically. It's not a formula. No, they must be done from a heart that loves the Lord our God. It's out of love, out of affection for Him. But to think of the marriage relationship again, if there is no love that motivates a husband in his actions towards his wife or the wife towards her husband, then, then every action will be a burden. Every action will be done with a degree of reluctance, and the relationship will show it. For a marriage to grow, husband and wife have to act out of love for, for each other. Now, true also for a relationship with the Lord. Top of the list, we find that is that I rightly come to know the only true God. You know, prophet Hosea, at one point, to Isaiah, the Lord said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The priests were not doing their job of instructing the people. And then, chapter 6, verse 6, the Lord says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offering. See, we have to know the Lord. But there is a big difference between knowing someone and rightly knowing someone. You think of the difference between an acquaintance, I know who that is, but do you really know that person? Are they close to you? You see, we have many people we know, but only a certain number of people we really know. Now, to truly know the Lord means that we also love Him, that we understand all that He has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, I keep on working with this relationship of the marriage between a husband and a wife. Married couples will soon realize that when they got married, that was only the beginning of rightly coming to know each other. Oh, they, they learned something about each other while they were dating, but you don't get to know a person until actually you start living together. So it is in our relationship with the Lord. Of course, He knows us from day one. He knows us from before the foundation of the world because He is God and He loves us. But for us, it doesn't come as an instant. For us, there is this, this learning curve. And it is a very long learning curve that really keeps us busy all our life long as we get to know Him more and more. And how did we do that? Well, thankfully, the Lord has given us His testimony in His Holy Word. He has decreed that this Word will be proclaimed to us week after week. The Word is accessible to us. We have that privilege. Ever since the time of the Reformation, when they also had discovered the printing press and they translated the Bibles into the language of the people, we have access to the Scripture and we can know God intensely and intimately and in great detail of all that He has done for us. So, it's a great privilege to have the Word of God, but we need to be busy with it. It's one thing to have the book in your cupboard, in the kitchen, or on the nightstand at home, but we need to immerse ourselves, be busy with that Word, to more and more get to know the Lord. Now, the second item, then, is to trust in Him alone. 
Note the qualifier, in him alone. You know, the problem in history so often was not that people did not trust in the Lord. We mentioned that for the people of Israel already. They trusted in him for some things, but really not for the important things in life, for the daily provisions for their body. We think also of the age of the Reformation. It wasn't that people didn't trust in the Lord. It wasn't that they didn't trust that Jesus had done something for them, but it was not alone. And so they looked at their own works, and they looked to Mary, and they looked to Peter and to Paul, and whatever else they could think of, because they thought, well, we need more. God has not given us everything we need in Jesus Christ. Now, trusting in God alone is what the Lord Jesus also taught us when He said we are to seek our Father's kingdom and His righteousness. So, focus on the Lord. Walk in His ways, and rest assured your Father will provide for you for all your needs. The third thing to notice, that we are to submit to Him. But notice that qualifying phrase, with all humility and patience. It's important to know that as well, because that is a contrast to submitting, for example, grudgingly. It so happens that the Lord doesn't all give us an easy path to follow. You may have great difficulties. We have a tough road in our lives. As a matter of fact, everyone sooner or later hits very rough patches in our lives. But then when, when the going gets tough, the temptation is to give up or to go through life with bitter sighing and complaining. But then it is important to remember that God works for good with those who love Him. And then we have to keep in mind that the Lord's ways are beyond human understanding, a lesson that also Job had to be taught. He didn't quite get why it was happening to him. He had to learn to trust the Lord. But do that humbly. Do that patiently. That even though you cannot see the way out, you can't see, see God's wisdom, because we cannot sit on the throne of God, but we trust that God is doing what is best for us. Now, in the fourth place, we are to expect all good from Him only. Again, back to the matter of trust. Good things will not come from anywhere else. How can they? Because our Heavenly Father is the only fountain of all good. And then finally, we are to love, fear, and honor Him with our whole heart. You know, there you hear the first and great commandment. But notice that with your whole heart. A marriage, to think of that again, cannot flourish if husband and wife are not in it with their whole heart. God is in our relationship with His whole heart. He has given His own Son for us. Now He says to us, give me your heart. Be in this fully. Involve yourself completely with your whole being. But the thought might arise as you hear these things, well, it's nice to say these things, but that's just unreasonable. There's no way we're going to be able to do these kind of things. And so you might even think, man, maybe I should have stayed home this afternoon and just stuck on it with the sermon of this morning. That was far more encouraging. Because now, now we are reminded of our weaknesses and our failures. But at this point, it is good to think ahead to the way that the catechism also concludes this whole section on the Ten Commandments. Because then, you know, the question is asked at the end. Why 
does God have the commandments preached so strictly if we can't keep them anyway? Well, the first reason is that we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature. And that's important because as we see our sinful nature, then, then as the moment of anxiety begins to grow in us, we begin to realize there's only one place I can go, and that is to my Savior, Jesus Christ, because in Him I find my complete salvation. And so, if you sit to a degree with a heavy heart because you have grown in the awareness of certain sins, then rejoice, brothers and sisters, in knowing that Jesus Christ has paid for those sins. For in that respect, yes, preaching on occasion will make you feel down about yourself that you may feel up and great about the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be driven to Him. And so as our sins are exposed, we learn not to praise ourselves, but to praise Christ. At the same time, there is also the aspect of strict preaching stirring us up to prayer for the grace of the Holy Spirit, so we will never stop striving. For as we hear these things, we can't just say, good things to know that Jesus paid for my sins, and then keep on sinning. No, because remember the Lord Jesus Christ is also working in us by the Holy Spirit. And, and through the preaching, yes, in one way he humbles himself and he makes us realize, man, I have a long way to go yet, a very long way. But then also he says, I'm stirring you up to a new way of life, and I'm showing you the new way of life. And as we hear about ways that betray the exclusive relationships and ways that display it, we say, Father, forgive me for the sake of Christ, your Son. But we go on and we say, Father, for the sake of your Son, please strengthen me by your Holy Spirit to make a new beginning each day again. Yes, that's the way of the Lord. He allows us to make a new beginning each day again because the blood of Jesus Christ covers the sins of every day. And so we keep on going to Him. Lord, forgive. Lord, help me clean out the leaven of sin. Help me clean out anything that gets in the way of that exclusive relationship. And help me grow in that exclusive relationship. For indeed, as we hear the call to love God exclusively, and we are humbled, we are driven first to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, and then for strength to make a new effort each day to love and trust our God alone. Amen.